back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. This is episode 6 of my new series, Stephen's Footy Insight, where I dissect and analyze every little detail of a beautiful game. Um, before or without any further introduction, let's dive straight into it. Of course, the Premier League in particular has uh, had many fixtures be postponed due to the current outbreak of the, uh, the you know, that's been caused by the pandemic. But we move on and we go straight into the football and uh, the North Londoners Arsenal in a big game versus uh, Leeds United in a game that I thought would finish a comfortable 2-1 victory for Arsenal ended up finishing as a 4-1 victory for Arsenal. So even more comfortable than I had originally predicted. Arsenal, who are also called the U23 merchants because of how many young players they play and how they have the youngest team in England, or at least in the Premier League at the moment, um, really showing what they're made of and showing their might against a very, very poor and weak lead side that are coming off the back of a absolutely atrocious 7 nothing defeat to Manchester City in, in a game where Leeds looked lackluster, uninterested. Um, I mean, they looked every bad adjective that you could associate, you know, with a, t- a football team that's not playing well at the current at the moment, you know, or at the in their current form is what you could attribute to Leeds. And the same thing could be seen and could be said about their performance against Arsenal. Uh, Leeds looked extremely open and uh, after some really, really good, I guess you could say some very Guardiola-esque type of football which is a massive compliment to, uh, you know, Mikel Arteta, who obviously looks up to Guardiola and did so both as a player and also now as a manager. As you can see, Arsenal's pattern of play continued to develop and pick up, and it has developed and picked up over time since Arteta has come in. It's now been two years since Arteta has been uh, appointed as manager of Arsenal. And, uh, I mean, if you ask me out of 10, what would I give him as an overall manager rating? I'd have to say anywhere between a 5 and a 7. I know that's not a very direct answer, but that's because I can't give you one because I don't really know what I'm judging or what I'm I'm basing my response on. Of course, Arsenal, this is the first season that they have, in a, that they've played or they're playing in a long time, but they're not playing in Europe. Or European competition is not uh, a part of their calendar or their schedule or their fixture list, whatever you want to call it. It's definitely play, uh, paid and paid off, and it's definitely played a huge and, I guess, pivotal role in their success. Obviously, there's a documentary coming out in Arsenal later on at the end of the, at the, end of the season uh, that will also you know, kind of cover and show everything that's happening behind the scenes. Arsenal will be happy because this is going to be, a, of course, a very big victory that they were able to win against a lead side that at home often perform in a very, very, uh, I guess, impressive and and expansive way which often can be their own downfall into their own detriment as we saw in this game as Arsenal won comfortably for one as I said it could have been more again because Arsenal had many chances to score and if they were a bit more clinical we probably would have seen more goals but a breeze for Martinelli who seems like the real star boy the new Brazilian that's emerging in the in the Premier League is really starting to you know show us what he's capable of and exactly why Arteta shouldn't have benched him and nor why the other managers who used to coach Arsenal prior to uh, Arteta's arrival. Why they shouldn't have benched Martinelli as well. Uh, Arsenal winning in a, in, a, in a way that tells you that clearly that, this is, that these wins are not flukes and it's not happening on a whim. They're definitely winning because they're playing really well. You know, they're, they're, sh- they're showing uh, signs of a team that's finally starting to gel together and start to understand each other's patterns and, I guess, you know, the the movement that each of their, of their, their, their teammates are there their players um, have and it's it's been shown I mean Leeds who have 
were difficult because, I mean, you look at the game they played against Chelsea where they defensively and offensively, their style of play of just being extremely gung-ho and high-risk, high-reward paid off until the last minute, of course, when Jorginho was luckily able to, you know, to not win the penalty, but to score the penalty that was won for Chelsea. But in this game, Leeds looked nowhere near like that. And Arsenal definitely, you know, kind of basically ended the game before it even started. And psychologically, they looked more prepared, more fit, more ready, more hungry to win. And in, in football, that's often it's those fine margins, those small little details that determine who wins and who loses the game. So we definitely saw that with this performance by Arsenal for sure. Now, in terms of the uh, the other game of this weekend, because there were only four, obviously a lot of them were postponed, as I mentioned. The next one was between Newcastle and Manchester City. Now, when you read out this fixture, you think to yourself, there's only going to be one real winner of this game because obviously we all know that Manchester City, whenever they play anybody, basically, that's not a bogey side. And even then, we don't even know what a bogey side is for Manchester City. Although, if I'm not mistaken, they play Leicester this weekend, which could be considered a bogey side, but we will see. I don't think they're going to be stopped by Leicester. Let's be honest. City look like they're going to win the league again for the, I think it's the third time in a row at this point, man. It's getting a bit uh, repetitive. Hopefully that can change, but, I mean, they look too, too, way too, way, 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 way too assured in their position as they were assured in this game, winning 4 nothing. a game I predicted would finish 4 nothing. so, you know, kudos to me for getting it spot on. Something just told me that they would score four goals and not concede. I mean, anybody who who has been watching the Premier League for, uh, you know, at least the last four or five years could have predicted the scoreline, and it would have been easy for you to do but it is quite clear that uh it is quite clear that city every time that they play it's almost like how many not a matter of what if or if they name you know what they concede or you know what they put out a, a bad performance because a bad performance for them is some of the best teams or some of the worst teams in the Premier League's best performance in some ways so after a brilliant brilliant performance from Joao Cancelo a man of the match performance from him it might I add with an assist and a goal for himself and a really good strike. Like, you just absolutely, he just blasted the ball into the roof of the net uh, and made it look easy. A very effortless strike from a very talented player, showing us that it doesn't matter where you play on the field traditionally, you can still be a part of the uh, the success going forward and a pivotal part of that. And we saw that again with a really good cross to uh, Ruben Diaz, which I guess was a bit you know inadvertent because Newcastle's defending was shocking. It was really poor. And that allowed Diaz to kind of get his head onto the ball with ease and to nod it in for City to make it 1-0. But, of course, you know, the, they never stop at 1. They never stop at 2. Goals from Riyad Mahrez, a good goal, and a good goal from, uh, I mean, simple goal for uh, Raheem Sterling as well to make it 4 nothing by the 86th minute. And uh, City continuing the title charge uh, with relative ease. Newcastle brushed aside. We move on to a game that needed to be brushed aside a.k.a. postponed but wasn't between Chelsea and Wolves. Uh, Chelsea, who obviously, you know, have uh, had many positive cases within their camp, were hoping to get the game postponed for that exact reason so that they could, you know, obviously uh, recoup and get everyone that they needed who, uh, who's been out to be come back and, and to be fit and to be able to play this game. But uh, that wasn't to be the case, and we had to rush back a very, you know, newly um, and freshly, I guess, returned Kovacic and Kante, who put in very, very good performances, respectively, especially in Kolo Kante, who for me was the man of the match, despite it being a nil-nil draw in a game I thought would finish as a 2-1 Wolves win. So maybe Kante's introduction is the reason why uh, Wolves didn't win the game and Chelsea were able to keep themselves alive 
uh, throughout the entirety of it. I mean, it must be said that this game was a, a game of two halves, one of which Chelsea were definitely the, the weaker side and were, were, were caught out in many, many moments of the game, which definitely infuriated Thomas Tuchel. That was clear. If you're looking at him and the cameraman would, you know, would put the camera on him and you'd see his frustration and his annoyance with what he's seeing on the field. But Chelsea in the second half definitely changed after the interval. And, you know, the introduction of a player that's extremely controversial in the Chelsea camp, uh, Saul Nigeth, came on and really made a, di- a difference and uh, kind of settled and balanced the midfield, something we needed because we started with Kante and Jalabo, who are, are not a partnership but are familiar with each other and are both players that are just coming back from their own injuries. So Saul, who's obviously been fit throughout this entire time, and a signing who has not really fit in with Chelsea just as yet, but I think he can and I think he will because we know there's a good player in there. It's only a matter of time that we see it. And I'm happy that he was able to put in a decent performance. Maybe this will lighten, you know, the burden or I guess the the hate that he's getting from the Chelsea faithful in the meantime. But just to say that uh, Saul put in a really good performance and Chelsea as a whole put in a decent performance in the second half of the game. It wasn't to be. I mean, there were opportunities for the game to be won, but it probably would have been an undeserved victory. So maybe a draw is the most fair result. But uh, we move on. Of course, the title race is definitely... It's out of the question. It was never really in the question ever since the Manchester United draw, which is literally when Chelsea's form have gone straight down the toilet or has gone straight down the toilet. And uh, Chelsea go on, you know, that we keep marching. We have another game in, in midweek against Brentford, a very, very difficult side, at, especially at their stadium, which is where Chelsea are playing in the AFL Cup. Of course, these fixtures I will definitely go over in the near future to discuss my predictions on these four games that are happening in that tournament. But we move on to the last Premier League game of the of the match day, at least, you know, a very small and short match day of Tottenham versus Liverpool, which is easily the most controversial game, full of excitement, entertainment, action, controversy, drama, whatever word you want to associate with this match that would describe something that was, you know, really eye-catching and, and, uh, and um, I guess, just simply, you know, very, very entertaining and, and interesting to look at or to watch. Because a lot of times football... Or people who don't watch soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, often say that the sport is boring to watch as a neutral because, you know, nothing happens. It's only just one goal that's maybe scored. And if no goal is scored, then the game is considered boring. Obviously that, you know, on a basic standard that can be understood. But games like this will tell you the will tell you the opposite and tell you otherwise. Because if anyone is watching this game, you would see just how brilliant the Premier League can be and why I consider it the best league in the world. Because... Things like this don't have to ha- don't often uh, happen, you know. I mean, that's not true. Liverpool and Tottenham often play each other, you know, in a re- to a really good game, and there are often a lot of goals and moments of uh, excitement and also maybe sadness or frustration, depending on which side of the of the pendulum that you uh, you stand on, whether you're a Tottenham fan or you're a Liverpool fan. But in this game, goals from Harry Kane after some really good play from Tottenham, who really really stifled this Liverpool. Uh, attack and also you could see that they were really breaking down the Liverpool defense which is not two things you hear often when you talk about Liverpool but given Liverpool's also Liverpool's injuries problems and also the positive cases in Liverpool's camp as well this has led to uh, you know obviously a thinner lineup and a thinner squad having to use youngsters like Tyler Morton who made his deep uh, his uh, his first start in the Premier League and not his debut, his debut the other day. But uh, it just showed you that there's definitely some inexperience in Liverpool's team, which Tottenham definitely exploited. And Conte, who's really starting to make his uh, his mark on this Tottenham team, was able to, uh, you know, to do. And he's able to show that through his training methods and his, reg, you know, regimented routines of running and running and running and running until you can't know more, like Forrest Gump. 
and now he's uh he's been able to get his message across and on the pitch it shows Tottenham were definitely the more dangerous side throughout the 90 minutes and you could argue if you're a Tottenham fan that they should have won this game uh, I would probably argue that as well given the amount of chances that uh, they were able to create um, Harry Kane and Son despite you know one of them scoring and the other one being lively didn't have the greatest of games which is probably the reason why it finished as a draw and not as a win but um, aside from Matt Cain, who probably should have been sent off in a very controversial uh, controversial call, as he uh, went and studs up on Andy Robinson uh, after, right after he scored, and it ended up being just a yellow card and no VAR check being done in order to see if you know any further action should be taken. And of course, in the second half, Robinson ends up doing the same thing, but uh, gets a red card after receiving a yellow first, and then VAR is checked, and then Paul Tierney, the referee, uh, who you could argue really had a poor game and you I think he did too I think he his refereeing and the English refereeing in general is poor like the standard is, is always extremely poor it changes week in week out that you the the outcome of the game is often very very um it's very very dependent on whether or not the the referee knows what he's doing and Klopp obviously complained about that at the end of the game telling uh Paul Tierney that he likes referee but he doesn't like him because he doesn't know how to do the job basically which again I think is you know it's a bit of a hot take, but it's true. And just to say that Robertson, who's involved in everything, basically, because he was involved in the in the equalizing goal for Liverpool, that Jota headed in to the back of the net with a, a beautiful, beautiful header, kind of like a you know a fish out of the water type of header, jumping over the at least three players that were marking him in the box and nodding it into the back of the net to make it 1-1 at halftime. And then in the second half, Liverpool uh, really came out of the blocks flying and looking to score a goal and, again, you know, take back take back control of the game, of which they never really had up until that point. But they did end up finding a way after, again, some more controversy as immediately after Deli Alley had fallen down to try to win a penalty for Tottenham, Liverpool spurred a counterattack. You see what I did there? Spurred? as Spurs playing at Spurs. They spurred a counterattack against Spurs. And uh, it led to a goal after a really, 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 really crisp pass from Trent Alexander-Arnold to uh, Andy Robertson, his fullback partner, who headed the ball into the back of the net. Of course, this all happened before he gets sent off, obviously. And uh, made it 2-1 for Liverpool. And then Liverpool, only a couple minutes later, after a bit of a, a, a blunder, or, you know, Allison, who made a bit of a meal a possession of a possession of the ball, which led to Ericsson. Wow, which led to I just keep thinking about him every time I think about Tottenham and how much they need a player like that. But I meant to say Hyun Min Son, who uh, was able to round the keeper and score. And I didn't even realize that both Kane and Son scored. I thought it was just Kane, but yes, Son did score as well, and uh, a goal that was deserved given their added and consistent and persistent pressure and their you know their. Their never say die attitude that Conte definitely instills in every team he's ever been to, and you can see that again with uh, with Tottenham and uh, Liverpool suffered from that point on as the last fifteen minutes since Robertson, who got sent off only five minutes after Son had scored, um, they really suffered from that, and uh, Tottenham were able to pile on the pressure more and more and more and more. And uh, I mean, Liverpool definitely had their own opportunities to even win the game themselves, but Tottenham took away all. No, they did not. They wish they took away all three points. It ended up being a one uh, a one point a piece in a two two draw. Now we move on to other games that I predicted. The first of which was between Atalanta and Roma, which I thought was going to finish three two, but ended up finishing four one two to Roma in a game that nobody would have predicted would have finished with this outcome because Roma traditionally against other big six sides often uh, they fail and they often 
struggle against teams that are in and around them in the table. But, and this is like the first time that they've won a big game, you could, uh, you could argue, or you could suggest, in a long time. Because normally, whenever uh, Roma play against teams around them, they, they always look like they're going to get battered before the game starts. And when the game is over, they do get battered the same way that, th- that they thought they would. Or at least they, the way that they played would show that they would get battered um, as well. So, goals from Tabby Abraham and... Uh, as well as Nicola Zaniolo, who scores for the first time in what feels like forever. I mean, if you're a Zaniolo fan, you know that he's extremely inconsistent, and that's obviously due to injuries and just, you know, changing of managers and changing of systems, meaning he has to adapt and fit into new styles of play. But now that he's, I think, fully cemented into the Mourinho style, he should be able to really take off and explode from here. So we'll see what happens with him. Chris Smalling, the uh, the Manchester United reject, the one a player that Mourinho didn't even really rates when he was at Manchester United with Chris Malling, also on the score sheet. And uh, that made it 4-1 for Roma. So big win for Roma for sure. But we move on to another game I predicted, which was between Sevilla and Atletico Madrid, which finished 2-1 to Sevilla. Normally, when I look at this fixture, I always think to myself that uh, Atletico Madrid will beat anybody that they play against. doesn't matter who it is. And if they lose, it's because they choose to lose and they get like four of their players sent off, which is very typical of them. But in this game, it was 1-1 for quite some time, up until the point of the 88th minute, when uh, Ocampos of Sevilla was able to score a late winner and decide the match for Sevilla, which is a really important point for them, as they currently sit second place, only six points behind Real Madrid in the La Liga table, which is, of course, very impressive for a team that hasn't won La Liga in a very long time. And... uh, Atletico Madrid, who basically fallen off at this point and have become a distant memory. And I think ever since their loss against Liverpool and just their overall performances in the Champions League, we can kind of see where they are and versus where we know that they should be or could be if they played a, a better style. Or at least, you know, they were able to revert to their old system that was working so fluid, so fluidly for so long. But obviously, now we see that it's definitely not working and Simeone must do something in the meantime to get them back to being the team that everyone fears and feared uh, for so long. But we move on to the midweek EFL Cup quarterfinals, but I, uh, a competition that I normally kind of just look over and kind of just ignore because I don't often pay too much attention to it until it reaches the quarterfinal stages or maybe the semifinals or the final stages as as it is right now. But uh, it must be mentioned that I think that all of these fixtures will be cut fairly predictable and, and easy to, to turn, you know, kind of know the winner before the game even uh, even starts. But the first fixture is between Arsenal and Sunderland. And I'm going to go for a very humble and easy win for Arsenal. And I think Arsenal will take this game 3-1. They've been on really good form at the moment, Arsenal. And even after Teta, who's had some very questionable uh, moments at the, you know, at the helm, since since coming to the club, he looks like he's set to to stay a, a lot longer than what I had anticipated that he would. And clearly, there's uh, a bit of momentum brewing over there in North London, that side of North London, both sides of North London, you could argue. So we're going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win against Sunderland. A side that, of course, is a very tricky team to play against if you know about them from the Premier League days. But nowadays, they look like a, a side that's where they are is where they are for a reason, if you could say. The next fixture... In the AFL Cup quarterfinals, is between Liverpool and Leicester City. And, uh, of course, this this is the Brendan Rodgers derby. Brendan Rodgers going to uh, play against his former side, a side that he used to manage about four or five, six years ago. 
and he used to be in the Liverpool dugout himself and was a uh, a very re- a relative success. Success is relative because what Klopp has been able to do is, is light years better than what Rodgers was able to do, but he definitely gave the blueprint for Klopp to succeed. So he's definitely loved by the, uh, the Liverpool faithful, and we'll probably see that love and hear that appreciation for him when he makes his way out of the Liverpool dugout on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, should I say so? And between these two teams, I think it's only going to be one winner. I think Liverpool will win this game 2-1 comfortably, especially when they're playing at home. And it could be more than that, to be honest, because Liverpool, even when they play their youngings, they play their fetuses, their children, their babies, whatever whatever word you want to use, they, they find a way, especially with Klopp's system. Although this could go the opposite, but I feel like Liverpool will win because just because they, they don't normally draw games back-to-back. They don't normally not win games back-to-back. And, of course, this game means a winner. There's a tournament, obviously, but in the Premier League, since they drew against Tottenham, I think they're going to want to win this game for sure in the, against Leicester, in in a competition that they could definitely win if they uh, did if they beat uh, Leicester on Wednesday. Uh, and the final game or the penultimate game is between Brentford and Chelsea, and I'm going to just kind of go over this really quickly. Brentford playing at home against Chelsea. Of course, the last time we saw this, Chelsea got very lucky because in the Premier League, this was. Uh, in an episode you guys can go and listen to, I also spoke in detail about uh, how Chelsea scraped a victory at uh, the Brentford Community Stadium, uh, and by winning, uh, I believe, yeah, by winning two one, and uh, or one nothing at the time. I think it was no, it was one nothing. It felt like two one because I felt like Chelsea scored, but they didn't. But regardless, uh, this game I think will finish two one potentially, and I think it'll probably be for Brentford. I think Brentford will actually win this game. It would not surprise me. I think Chelsea have been in a really poor run of form. And because of that, I think they're going to suffer in this game as well because of that. And I think Brentford, who will want revenge and are going to be playing at their home stadium with all their fans backing them against a fellow West London club, will be up for the game for sure. So I think that they're definitely going to put out a fight. And because of that, I think Chelsea actually might drop out of the competition which isn't really a bad thing given how many competitions Chelsea are playing in in the season as they're playing in the Club World Cup. Obviously, they're also uh, also in the Champions League and the FA Cup and the Premier League. So there's many competitions to go around, let's say, and trophies to be won that don't have to be this one. So, Although, of course, it would be nice. So I hope we do win, but I have a feeling we're not going to. But I don't mean to be too pessimistic. We will see. And the final game of the EFA Cup quarterfinals is between Tottenham and West Ham. Uh, this is going to be a tricky game to predict because this game could go either way. Both teams are on a really good run of form. At the moment, have been playing really well since you know Conte's coming uh, at Tottenham and even since David Moyes has come in at, at West Ham for the second time. And uh, because of that, I'm going to go for a draw. But I think, obviously, this game needs a winner. So I, I think Tottenham will win on penalties in this game. Uh, I think it will be a score. It will be, it'll be goals that were scored that are going to lead to like a 1-1 that will lead to a draw. Uh, and then penalties will be taken. I think Tottenham will win on penalties. So that's my thoughts on that. Of course, I will be back in the very near future promptly to uh, discuss and analyze this as well as give my uh, my predictions for the weekend fixtures in the Premier League and other leagues in Europe as well. I'm looking to incorporate a more you know continental football style as opposed to just the Premier League. So stay tuned for that. I will uh, definitely be delving into those um, fixtures as well. And uh, as always, I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, please... As I always like to say, if you have anything else you'd like to ask me or tell me about in terms of saying, you know, who who I thought the player of this four-game four match match day in the Premier League was, for me, it probably have to be Martinelli, maybe. I thought he played really well. So you guys let me know what you think. And as always, thank you for listening. I will be speaking to you guys again very, very soon.
Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.